0: Okay, Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read together verses, I think it starts in verse 38, Mark chapter 9, verse 38, and you have this also on the back of your bulletin that you were handed on the way in to follow along, this is the ESV, and we're going to read through verse 42, Mark 9, 38 to 42, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ Will by no means lose his reward. And then verse 42 Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is a powerful passage in the life of Christ. And it's talking about unity and division in the body. And when I say body, I don't just mean the local church. Uh, The church has lots of metaphors and analogies in the Bible. It's a family, it's a field, it's a flock, it's a building, it's a bride. um, It's all kinds of things. But one of the most, I think, important metaphors is that the church is the body of Christ. And when I'm talking about the church this morning, I mean the universal church. Christianity at large, okay? Wherever you find Christians in any context serving God in the name of Christ, doing Christian ministry. That's what I mean by body. Um, Division in a body is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of sickness. Something has gone astray. It's a body that's turning on yourself. As you guys know, if you know anything about medicine or health, that the immune system is your body's first line of defense. It's the first line of protection against the foreign invaders. And when your immune system is working properly, it's going to recognize, attack, and destroy anything foreign that's invading your body. It's gonna do that. They don't stand a chance. Bacteria, um, viruses, anything that's gonna invade and and jeopardize or threaten your health doesn't stand a chance because God built in this immune system that we have. And when it's functioning properly, it's awesome. But when it's not, it's terrible. It turns on itself, your body does. And there's something called an autoimmune disorder. That's what that means. Your immune system cannot any longer recognize what's a threat, uh, and what's not a threat. It confuses friend with foe. It sees friendly uh, things in your body as hostile, and it will turn on them and attack them, and that's terrible. It, it, It attacks healthy tissue by mistake. So every part of your body can be affected by this. Your brain can be affected by it. Your heart can be affected by it. Your nerves, your skin, major organs can be affected by it, and then it's It can kill you. It can take your own, your life. The body turning on itself and attacking itself. It's like, it's really like a civil war in the body when that happens. Uh, This is civil war on the body. It's when you're actually fighting yourself. It's a terrible reality. Um, This is the second most common cause of chronic illness. It's not the number one killer, but check this out. 24 million people in the United States suffer from some form of autoimmune disorder. And it's terrible. Some are really severe and critical and can take their life. Some of them just cause chronic illness, fatigue, weakness, depression. Um, terrible reality. So, a lot of people in the United States suffer from that, and so does Christianity. Christianity suffers from that a lot. Lots of Christians who recognize other Christians not as their friends, not as their allies, not as their partners, not as just another servant of the Lord Jesus Christ working and laboring in his vineyard, but a threat. Somebody who's going to jeopardize the health of their ministry. It's terrible, and you see that reality here in this text. Jesus said that a house or a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It can't. He said that much earlier in the book of Mark. Um, Unity is precious to God. It cost him so much. That's why it's so precious to him. You know what unity cost God? It cost him the life of his son. The blood of Christ is what broke down all barriers for humanity. And especially when we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we still throw up and erect these barriers, that grieves the Holy Spirit. It confuses the world. It weakens our testimony. It contradicts the gospel. It does so many terrible things. God sent His Son Jesus to die so that we could be united together. The night of His betrayal, if you remember this, in John 17, Jesus actually prayed this prayer. Father, I pray that they... All of us, even the people in this room, He prayed for that night. I pray that they may be as one, even as we are one. So Jesus died to create unity, uh, and He calls us to protect it, to celebrate it, to promote it, to support it in any way that we can as Christians. And that doesn't just mean within our church, Grace Life. It means within the body of Christ at large, the church universal, I guess you could say. So um, every New Testament epistle calls Christians to rally together and unite, and so does this story in Mark chapter 9. And it's, it's a terrible thing, and it's interesting that Mark chose to include this, because this really doesn't put the disciples in good light. And that's just another reason why when you read the Bible, you know this is God-breathed. This is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this carries power and authority, because if we wrote something like this, we would edit these things out. They make us look terrible, don't they? It's embarrassing. It's a little bit humiliating. The stupid things the disciples did, the stupid things they said, but it's all left in there so that we can grow, so that we can learn, and so that we can know we're not alone. You know, there were disciples who were foolish who went before us, and we can learn from their mistakes and from their example. So, what is Jesus teaching us here? Well, one of the things he's teaching us is it's very presumptuous for us to think that we are worthy to be followed. And in in doing that and living uh, our Christian life that way, we're eclipsing the power and the beauty and the glory of Christ. See, John thought, isn't it presumptuous of John, the Apostle John, this early uh, in Christianity, he already thinks that he is worthy to be followed by other disciples. Follow me. Because this person who was casting out this demon presumably successfully casting out this demon, John tells him, look, you don't follow us, so we've got to shut this down. This isn't authorized. <laughs> Who told you you could do this? Isn't that interesting that we see that? How arrogant of John, how presumptuous of John. It's pretty incredible, actually. Um, but listen, I don't want you to read this story and think that John, I've read some commentaries, and they think that John is bragging about this. Hey, Jesus, do you want to hear how zealous I am for you? Check this out. We saw somebody who was on the road casting out a demon. He's not one of the 12, Jesus, so I shut him down. Aren't you proud of me? That's not what is happening here. That's not what's happening here. To see the context of this, back up a little bit. Jesus has just told them, um, he's just turned their idea of human greatness right side up. They had it upside down, right? They thought, they were arguing and fighting and quarreling about who's the greatest amongst them. And Jesus said, look, if you want to be the greatest, that's not a bad thing. Striving for greatness is not terrible, uh, but your, your definition of greatness has got to change because greatness means you serve the least of these. You serve the marginalized person, the person who can't open doors for you. He, you can't name drop him. He has nothing to offer you. You go to that person. You're open to him. You receive him to the glory of God, uh, just like, for example, this little child. And he puts a little child in the middle of them, and he says, whoever receives This child in my name doesn't receive me, but him who sent me. So Jesus is talking about receiving people in his name and rejecting people, and John's heart is penetrated. He's convicted. Has this ever happened to you in a sermon or you're reading a Christian book, you're reading the Bible, and the Holy Spirit just zap. You're just convicted, and you feel like, man, I need to confess this sin to the Lord. John's not bragging here. John's convicted. Jesus just said that. In fact, the last thing he said... In verse 37, check it out. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Bam, verse 38. John said to him, teacher. He's like, Jesus, you're not going to believe what I did. This is so humiliating. This is, I'm so ashamed of this. I think I may have messed up. I think I did something terrible. I think I committed a sin against the larger body of Christ. So this is not John bragging. Don't misunderstand this. This is John convicting being convicted, confessing his sin to Jesus. And that's why Jesus deals with him so tenderly. I mean, what Jesus says is powerful. It's got a bite to it. But Jesus is, is not wagging his finger at John. He's teaching him. It's what the Holy Spirit does with us also when we come and we confess sin. So here's the sermon outline today. Knowing the story, kind of, it's really simple what was going on here. This is the outline for us. How to confront pride and how to cultivate humility. So point number one, resist the distraction of division. Resist the distraction of division. Point number two, recognize the ministry of others. And point number three, remember the cross of Christ. So here's the first point. How do you cultivate unity and confront your pride? Because those things are partners, right? How do you do that? Well, point number one is you resist the distraction of division. It's a distraction, That means it's something to recognize that's in all of us, just like John did. He said, you know what? I recognize this pride that Jesus is confronting here. It's in my own heart, and I see it manifest itself in the way I treated that other believer who's doing a good work in the name of Jesus. He's doing ministry in the name of Christ. And listen, here's the interesting thing. He's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and apparently he's successful at it. Do you think that got underneath John's skin a little bit? Do you remember what happened to them just the day before that? They were trying to cast out a demon from a boy. His father brought him, and they couldn't do it. You remember that? They couldn't. They didn't have any power over it. And so Jesus came down the mountain and said, you guys are killing me. What's going on here? Jesus cast it out, and the disciples later said, why couldn't we do that? How come we didn't have any power? And Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer. So this probably tells us the person they encountered that was casting out demons, we don't know who they are. Maybe Jesus did all of that, sent that rogue Uh, minister out to cast out demons just to teach us all this lesson about humility and unity so this this cat was casting out demons and man he could do it he has the power to do it in the name of christ so maybe that got under their skin and it bothered them maybe they were jealous a little bit maybe they were envious has that ever happened to you as a christian now maybe this resonates more with me because i'm a pastor i'm a leader i'm all the time engaged in, in some kind of vocational ministry but I got to be honest with you guys, I see this in my heart, my heart all the time. I'm always praying for revival for this city, for all these cities that we live in. We're right in the middle smack dab of Lake Helen, Osteen, Orange City, the land, Deltona, and beyond. And I'm always praying, God, do a work of renewal. Do a work of, of, of gospel power here. Open people's eyes to the, to the power of Christ, the, the terrible reality of their own sin, and save them from their darkness. Restore them. Grant them repentance. Now listen, let me ask you a question. What if that's you too? You're praying that. And God says, you know what, Tommy? You've humbled myself. You've humbled yourself in my presence. You've prayed this prayer that I agree with. This is what I desire to do as, as the creator of all human beings who have fallen in, in Adam. And I want to restore them through my son. And I'm going to grant your prayer. There's going to be a revival in the, the Quad City area, the likes of which you've never seen. And I'm thinking, hallelujah, that's awesome. And he says, but I'm going to use the church down the street to do it. Gut check. Gut check. Now I know, that, seriously, I don't know if this resonates with you. You may think, oh, that's fine. But listen, when you're the pastor of a church, and it's a small church, and you're the new kid in town, right? And, and nobody really seems to understand that you're here yet. And, and, and you're working it, you're trying to get the name of Christ out there, and you're trying to partner with the people that you can partner with, and you see other ministries that they're thriving, man, they're flourishing. They got workers and servers and volunteers like falling all over each other. They got a band that's like got 15 musicians, they're jamming in that place, it's glorious. And here you are kind of trudging along, man, it's hard. And you see somebody else doing that, and it's, it's a challenge. I want to be honest with you, it's a challenge. And it happens to every pastor, if we're honest. And maybe it happens to every Christian, if you're engaged in ministry, right? It's hard. Envy creeps in. Pride creeps in. And then there's division. You start, you start feeling like you need to check those people that are doing that. Well, you know what? They're not Baptist. They're not Baptist. They're, they're non-denominational, which means they're really Baptist. They just have a cool website. That's what that means. This happens... This happens uh, it happens at a secular level, at a professional level. It happens in sports. It shouldn't happen in the church, but it does. And you see traces of this with denominational conflict. Well, I'm, I'm a Wesleyan, or I, I'm Presbyterian. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Baptist. Happens all the time. Maybe it's, it, it, they bring somebody's name into it. I'm Lutheran. You know, I follow Martin Luther, I'm Calvinistic, I follow the teachings of John Calvin. And I'm not saying that labels are bad, but I'm saying sometimes, man, we take those labels and we wear them as a badge on our shoulder, and if somebody doesn't sign off, somebody doesn't pass our little litmus test, man, we get cross with them, and we somehow think they're, they're of lesser importance. They're not doing a mighty work like we are. They haven't really been authorized. They're off. It happens. It happens all the time. And listen, it can happen Doctrinally. Maybe it's not a denominational thing, but maybe somebody believes differently than you do about a second-tier issue or a third. You know what I mean by that? Up here at the top is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was the Son of God. Uh, he died a substitutionary death. He atoned for the penalty for sinners. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Um, and He died to cleanse us from our sin. That's non-negotiable, right? Right? That's at the top. But what if it's something like, when's the rapture happen? <laughs> right? Or will the church go through the great tribulation before Jesus comes, or will we escape that? That's a whole sect of Christianity that people argue about. That's way down here. I mean, I, definitely I have a belief on those things. Our church has a doctrinal statement on those things. But listen, you don't have to believe those things to be a member of this church or to be a Christian. You don't. Those are not as important as the thing at the top, which is who who is Christ, what did he come to do, what should your response to that be? That's the gospel, the Bible, the authority of Jesus. Those things are critical. But what you believe about spiritual gifts, that's not. That's not. If you think, well, I believe that people sp- still speak in, sp- in tongues today, and certain people have the gift of healing. That's wonderful. That, uh, that's fine, okay? That's not a top-level issue, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't fight about that. I have views on that. Our church has views on that. But I'm not willing to look at a ministry that doesn't line up on a secondary or third-level tier and say, well, they're, they're illegitimate. I'm not going to do that. I used to. I used to all the time. I was like the drug dog at the airport. Seriously. If I met another Christian, I was like, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about this? Oh, they're off. They're bad. Man, they got five kilos of coke in them they're hiding or something, you know? Seriously, that, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. That's who I was. I, I was the person who would determine how legit you were. How theologically sound and orthodox you are. Uh, and, and man, I tell you, that's a, that leaves a terrible taste in people's mouth. It sends a very confusing message about the gospel and about who Christ is. Our, our identity cannot be, cannot be grounded in what we believe about secondary things or what denomination we're in or who we follow. It can't be in that. Spurgeon said this once. He said, I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist, I do not hesitate to take the name of a Baptist. But if I am asked what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? It's okay to have doctrinal distinctions. It's okay to take a label, and it's simple to identify. You know, I believe in Reformation doctrines. It's okay to say that. But that is not the warp and woof of your Christian existence. And it shouldn't be the litmus test uh, that you put another Christian up to to see whether or not they're authentic. It shouldn't be. So don't let a good thing become the main thing. That's what I, I want to fight against at this church, is that secondary things and third-level things, are, they're okay, but they're not, they're not the most important thing. We are here to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. That's why on many church statements, uh, their, their statement of belief, you're going to find this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, Charity. I mean, that looks good on paper. Uh, Hopefully churches really do practice that. In non-essentials, we have unity. We can have unity and not believe something uh, that's not a critical doctrine. That's good. In fact, that's good. Diversity is good in the church. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to use... I had a text I wanted to put up here from 1 Corinthians. Here we go. So this this happens uh, in denominations, and this happened in a church in Corinth in the first century. The Apostle Paul planted the church at Corinth, and man, were they a messed up church. And he's their pastor. He's their founding pastor. He never gave up on them. He wrote them uh, an epistle, 1 Corinthians. And he's trying to correct their faulty beliefs. There's quarreling. There's fighting. And the, the first thing, it's interesting. 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long. The very first thing that the Apostle Paul tackles is this, what we would call factions, sectarianism, division. And it's over the stupidest thing, seriously. They are fighting over whether or not Paul baptized them or one of the other lesser apostles did. And so they've got this saying there. They're saying, well, I follow Paul. You know, he baptized me. Who baptized you, James or one of the lesser apostles? And other people are saying, well, I follow Peter. You know, he's the rock. He was one of the inner circles of the apostles. And other people say, well, I follow Apollos. He's the most articulate Alexandrian Jew. He can preach the roof off this place. And then the really spiritual people They said, well, I don't follow anybody. I don't even listen to preaching. I follow Jesus. That's how silly the argument was. And Paul addresses it. And listen to the way he addresses this. Now, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, Chloe's people tattled on them. Chloe's people reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Isn't that amazing? The Corinthians were exalting men, puny, fragile men, and saying, because I follow Apollos and you don't, that means you're illegit. My ministry is better than yours, more successful, more effective, and it's more fruitful. And Jesus loves me more than he does you. That was the idea, right? Jesus Jesus really highlights my ministry, yours not so much. And what did Paul do to attack it? He said, look, we're just puny, sinfully flawed men. And you're going to follow us? He says, was Paul crucified for you? Do you see he goes right to the root of that. Was Paul crucified for you? I don't have any power. I can't sanctify you. When people sing the hymn, uh, they don't sing nothing but the blood of Paul. <laughs> That's not what they sing. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Paul attacks the root of that. He didn't tear down their groups. He didn't tear down their leaders. He just told them how silly, um, theologically, this whole idea was. And so he reminded them how powerless this whole following thing was. You know, when Martin Luther, he, he was a reformer in the 15th century, and when he heard that there was a sect of Christianity that was attaching their beliefs to his name and calling themselves Lutheran, how do you think Luther reacted to that? How do you think most men would? Good deal. Let's get this Claytonian thing going here, all right? We're, we follow Tommy. We're the Claytonians. This is what Martin Luther said. What is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. How could I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, Come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name. That's the right response to this, isn't it? George Whitfield was asked if he hoped his followers would call themselves by his name in the same way that John Wesley's followers did, because you know there's a Wesleyan church, right? Um, and this is what Whitfield said. He said, "May the name of Whitfield perish, so long as the name of Christ is exalted." <laughs> They probably got that from this rebuke, really, that Christ, the gentle rebuke. Again, he was tender with the Apostle John, but he's saying, Look, John, don't forbid people who are doing ministry in my name. You can't do that. So that's point number one. We have to fight against this. If you want everyday power, then you need unity. And in order to have unity, you're going to have to confront your pride, and you're going to have to fight this distraction of being divided. All of us are. That's point number one. Point number two recognize the ministry of others. Man, this is so important. This is so critical. Recognize the ministry of others. Look what Jesus says here. He says, forget about casting out demons. That's grandiose. That's powerful. But I'll go further than that, guys. He said, if you find anybody offering a cup of cold water in my name, he says, they're going to get a reward. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, even the simplest, smallest, humblest act of kindness in my name is worthy of reward in heaven from me. He's trying to set them straight. As long as it's done in the name of Jesus, which means it's it's being done in his power, it's being done under his authority, you should unite with him. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look for ministry that's done in the name of Jesus. Acknowledge it. Celebrate it. Applaud it. Support it. Even if it's not happening in your church, support that. Pray for it. I was convicted studying this because I want to pray for other churches from this pulpit more often. They're, they're carrying out good gospel ministry in the name of Christ. And even though we're not worshiping together on Sunday morning, that's okay. You know, it all belongs to Jesus. We're all on the same team. I was thinking of the, the CEO for Starbucks. Do you think he cares which Starbucks store you get your coffee from? If you're into buying Starbucks coffee, it's kind of pricey. Um, and I, I tend to like Joe and Marilyn's coffee, one ounce coffee, a lot better, but... If you're into Starbucks, do you think the CEO cares which store you go to and get your $5 skinny latte that's blended and da-da-da-da with almond milk and he doesn't care, guys, I'm telling you right now. He doesn't care. He would rather you go to a weak store that's that's failing, that needs business. Do you think Jesus cares which church you go to so long as his son is being lifted up, the gospel's being preached in all its fullness? No, he doesn't care. He doesn't care because we're all on the same team. And when we encounter somebody that Jesus loves and is doing ministry, we've got to learn to love them and support them. That's so important. We're all on the same team. God's kingdom is bigger than our tribe. It is. And this is not a rebuke, okay? I'm not rebuking you. I think you guys are a model for me. You do this so well. Uh, pastors don't probably say this very much because it could be misunderstood, but I'm proud of you. You guys are a great example to me. I want you to know your pastor struggles with this, so pray for me. I'm a weak man and I struggle with this. I think all church planners struggle with it, especially when you hear a bigger church is, is coming into your area. Um, there is a church that I'm from a town that it was small and it's grown to about 30,000. And a church just came into that town. It's a big church from a neighboring city. And they have planted big churches everywhere. And they came to my hometown, which is about 30,000 people. And they found a big high school. And they had an agreement with the principal. And they're going to rent that high school. And, and they, it's kind of a big production. you know. They're, they're like, go big or go home. And so the first service was four weeks ago. You know how many people they had in that church? 1,200 people. Now, i got to tell you, in my hometown... That's front page news. That's huge. First week, they had 1,200 people. And I know the guy who's preaching there. He is preaching the gospel. It's ministry that's done in the name of Jesus. Second week, they have 1,200 people. Third week, they had 1,300 people. I don't know what they had this morning. I hope they have 1,800 people. But check this out. That's an old traditional town. It's been around a long time, and there's a lot of older traditional churches there. And could you guess as to the reaction that those traditional churches are having? when this new church came into town, rented this high school, and they're blowing the doors out. What do you you think the the, the reaction is? They don't like it. It's ugly, man. That's hideous. I think that grieves the Holy Spirit. I think it confuses the world. Man, we're supposed to unite. Listen, people that have not gone to church in years, I know for a fact, people I went to high school with, they heard about this church, and guess what? They went to it. They're encountering the gospel from a different kind of church that came into my hometown, and I'm thankful for that. And listen, if another church feels threatened with that, then they need to deal with that. That's on them. They need to deal with that. That's their heart before God. But we need to celebrate ministry, find it, seek it out, celebrate it, and applaud it, encourage it anytime we find it in the name of Christ. Because the kingdom of God is larger than our own experience of it, right? We're really uh, belittling and, and, and making smaller the kingdom of God when we have this divided mindset that Jesus is calling out here. We're all on the same team. Larry Osborne is, is a guy I like to read. He did, a, he did a seminar in Orlando last year at an exponential conference, and I went to it. And man, everything he said just really resonated with me. I couldn't take notes fast enough, and I wrote this down. He said this, not any one church can reach everyone. We get addicted to growth, and we get jealous of the close churches. We are all about the kingdom as long as it's overseas or at least one hour away. (laughs) Right? Is that true? We're all about the kingdom of God being built by other churches. They're like, how long does it take to get there from here? Google it. 45 minutes? Yeah. That's awesome. We're all for that. Praise God. Hallelujah, man. He said this. We must build generosity into our DNA and bless other churches. Our castle is not God's kingdom. Our castle is not God's kingdom. That may not sound earth-shattering to you, but it was for me. It, 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 put, it, it corrected my thinking and convicted me that, man, I've got to be in line with what Jesus is doing in the world even if He's not using me to do it all, you know? That's, that's, the, uh, that's what He's saying here. And per, perhaps the people that are in the most danger of, of succumbing to this temptation are the people that are the most zealous the most zealous followers of Jesus sometimes fall into that. They, they think God has somehow appointed them to be the, the, the gatekeeper to the kingdom, you know, the drug sniffer like I was telling you about earlier. This happened a long time ago in Israel under the watch of Moses. Numbers chapter 11. Check this out. Because there's no new evil under the sun, guys, right? Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. I don't know if they were brothers. That's a cool name, though. <laughs> What's up, me? What's up, El? <laughs> Dad, and Eldad. And the Spirit rested on them. They got the Spirit of God, Old Testament style. And so they prophesied in the camp. This is when Moses was the leader of Israel, and Joshua was his right hand. And a young man ran and told Moses. Man, people are always tattling, aren't they? A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Me, Dad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Man, isn't that a great? The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, the most humble. Did you know that? You know what's really crazy about that? Moses wrote that about himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) How about that? They're like, no, God, I can't. He said, write it. He goes, I can't. I'm too meek. I'm humble. (laughs) Moses was the meekest man on the face of the planet. And isn't this an indication of that? Somebody's saying, my Lord, somebody's prophesying and it's not you. They don't have stone tablets. They haven't met with God on the mountain. And He's like, look, why are you jealous? Are you passionate for my sake? I wish everybody could prophesy. Are you kidding me? From sun up to sundown, I'm like settling arguments, prophesying, going and talking to God. And man, that spirit should carry over right here. We see that the same spirit that Moses was demonstrating there with Christ. He said, look, somebody that's doing a miraculous work in my name is not soon after going to turn and say something evil about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. What a novel thought. That's what Jesus is teaching here. J.C. Ryle said this, Better a thousand times that the work should be done by other hands than not done at all. Isn't that good? That's the story. Simple allegiance to Christ is going to lead us to applaud and celebrate those that are on God's team, even if they're different from ours. Because ministering in the name of Jesus, it's not just the prerogative of a few people. It's the privilege of everyone. It is. It is. So, um, Jesus is telling his disciples not to prevent anyone from doing the work of ministry in his name, especially work. Think about it. Can you imagine whoever it was that was, had just been freed of this demon, how confused they probably were? Some no-name exercised this demon. Who knows how long they had been enslaved by this d- demonic presence. And somebody they'd never, that the apostle John had never met cast this demon out. And then John walks up and said, don't you ever do that again. Can you imagine how confused the person was? They're like, dude, he just freed me from a lifetime of demonic oppression. What are you kidding me? Is that not a good thing what he did? Can you imagine John, his stunned response? Uh, Well, he's not authorized. He doesn't follow the apostles. It's so confusing to people when we do that. That's why J.C. Ryle tells us to rejoice in the work of, of others. And this is what Sam Alberry said. He said, if you're Christianity... It's defined more about what you're against than what you're for, then it's not biblical Christianity. Man, don't you see that a lot? It's This church over here is known for what? They're against this, 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 and this, and these people and these people. Well, what are they for? <laughs> Can we get to that at some point in their doctrinal statement? Are they actually advocating a message? <laughs> are they uniting over some great cause? So often the case, it, it, it's not. So here's the third and the final point. And and it's with a question. How can all of us be unshackled from this prison of division and pride and quarreling and fighting that that we so often face? Well, uh, the answer is the cross, right? We always go back to that. This is the last point. Remember the cross of Christ. The first one is resist this this temptation that we have uh, to be divided. Um, The second one was to recognize ministry anywhere in the world done in the name of Christ and celebrate it. And the third thing is this, remember the cross of Christ. Because listen, unity cost Jesus the execution, His own execution, it cost God the execution of His Son. And the only way that we can be freed from this is to go back um, and face the reality of the cross again. At the cross, no one, not not even the greatest person, doesn't need the cross. And at the cross, nobody, not even the worst, can fail to receive the grace of God. Um, At the foot of the cross, king and prostitute sit down as equals, right? And all the pride goes away. It's destroyed forever. I know so often we want to be our own saviors. We want to boast in our amazing rescue success, and we want to eclipse the work of Jesus. And that's why we have to return again and again to the cross. And that's why it's a great day for us to celebrate communion together because this is the greatest deterrent to division right here. The Lord's Supper... Remembering what it, it reminds us of, the cross that we're, we're so sinful, Jesus had to die, but He loves us so much, He was glad to do it. That's what the cross reminds us of. Um, and people in the world, they observe, uh, they have different expressions of worship, uh, they have different emphases. Some churches highlight this area of doctrine, and that's okay. We shouldn't be divided with them. We should unite with them, we should pray for them, and we should support them, because The power comes from Christ, Christ, and the glory goes to Christ. And we're not even in the picture. And the cross reminds us of that. It's what John Stott, I quoted him last week. He said, the cross is the only place where you really shrink to your true size. Amen? That's what the cross does. There's another quote that um, I think Jared Wilson added. He said this. Man, this is so good. For us today, 2018 in America... There's so many things going on, even on social media right now, with churches and Christians just fighting and bickering. And Jared Wilson says this. He says, At a time when the Western world is becoming increasingly more hostile to the things of faith, when evangelicals ought to be seeking as much common ground with each other as possible, we continue tribalizing, fracturing, and anathematizing. That means pronouncing a curse on one another. I wonder whose plan that might be. And that's why going to the cross is so important because, listen, Jesus said He he came to destroy the work of Satan, right? How did Jesus do that? The cross. The cross destroys division. It destroys fighting. It destroys pride. And it cultivates unity. It produces unity. And that's why we have to go back to it over and over again. Trevor Wax, he said this. He said, "...no Christian who truly understands grace can feel superior to anyone else." Grace shatters, I love that word, it shatters any sense of superiority. So no matter how long you follow Jesus, no matter how amazing of a ministry you have, no matter what seminary you went to, what denomination you belong to, as long as you are standing underneath the shadow of the cross, uh, you're going to be okay recognizing, celebrating, supporting, congratulating, applauding other works of ministry that that are done in the name of Christ. The cross is the answer to all of this. Because listen, Jesus Christ suffered disunity to secure unity for us. His body was shredded on a splintered cross so that we could all unite together and carry out our mission in His name. So that people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different training, different traditions could all unite together and and infiltrate the world and saturate their city under the banner of Jesus Christ. That gives him glory. That sends a, a, an amazingly powerful message to the world. Uh, but division, it doesn't. Division contradicts the gospel. It confuses the world. It sends a distorted message. So often we're so concerned with doctrinal purity, but we, we miss the relational beauty. You know, The gospel creates relational beauty. It's, we get along with other Christians who are not like us because of the cross, because Jesus died for us. Equally, we all need his death. So Jesus hanging on a cross in darkness, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the answer. That's how we combat this innate pride within us and put to death this factionalism, this sectarianism, this desire to, uh, to divide and conquer instead of unite and saturate our cities. So that's the message. It's a simple message. It's probably not earth-shattering. A child can read this story and understand the implications. But listen, it's here, and we're going to revisit this in another format a little bit later in the next chapter. Because get this, James and John, a little bit later, John was the same one that was having the the hard time here. He and James, by the way, their names, their nicknames, are sons of thunder. Did you know that? When you read John the Apostle, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's the apostle of love. He's so tender. The the word love is mentioned like 98-something times in his epistles. You can't hardly see this John, the old John, the the rough-around-the-edges John, but you know what grace did? It softened him. Jesus called he and his brother the sons of thunder. A little bit later, they're going to walk through a Samaritan village and preach the gospel, and the people don't believe, and so they look at Jesus and are like, you want us to call down fire from heaven on this village and destroy it or what? (laughs) You know. So we constantly have to go back to the cross. Jesus rebuked them, and he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. So the cross is the answer to our pride, to our divisiveness, to our arrogance, to our superiority complex, complex, and that's why we turn to it again and again. So let, let's pray.